the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into uh, the second half of today's edition of Armchair Politics. Um, Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki, on the left. Welcome back, Paul. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, Tom. Good show. And it's fun when uh, when we have someone like uh, Bill Wise Carver, author <laughs> W. H. Wise Carver, author of uh, The Twilight of Empire, is joining us for the roundtable this week. Bill, uh, welcome back. Thanks for being here today. Always a pleasure. And uh, as we were wrapping up the uh, uh, first half of Armchair Politics, I was talking about the uh, guest this morning who was uh, not the intended uh, candidate for governor of Michigan, but instead a candidate for governor of Minnesota. And um, I I encourage people, if you didn't hear the interview this morning, to uh, find it. It'll be in the archive later today. And... uh, I encourage you to, to check that out um, because it's just. I was curious a, about that citizens jury. I, I just heard the last half of the interview this morning, but I, the citizens jury does that mean it, the? How is that supposed to work? Well, yeah, please explain. In in the in the simplest of forms, and and we talked about it quite a bit. Um, he would have uh, statistically. Uh, validated representation of the electorate selected like jury duty but but the number he's throwing around is like 500 and just like jury duty they will get a notice to come to the state capitol and weigh in you know the the legislators and proponents of a particular issue would make their case to this uh, citizen's jury, and then they would say how they think the uh, legislators should vote on the issue. And they would do so they, this. They would have the final say on a bill, whether it would pass or fail? Pretty much. Huh, that's interesting. Huh. I mean, it's But there's very, something wrong with that. There, 
there is, and and of course, there's I, a, quite a bit wrong with it. Yeah, I I, I asked him a couple. <laughs> I asked very, him very clumsy at the least. Well, yeah. that's just it, and you know, it's it's funny because uh, Ryan Kelly last week, a GOP candidate for governor here in Michigan, said something similar, but his was more of a citizens' advisory council that would be appointed a dozen or fifteen people, and they would meet periodically and review some of the legislation and share their thoughts with with the governor they this, can make recommendations but you can't take the power Henry away. and i know how difficult it is to pull together yeah. a jury of 12 people sometimes yeah. trying to get right. 500 people to show up in a state capitol could be quite a quite a task well it's yeah. a, it's a larger group than the legislature itself it's literally sure. turning uh, state government in Minnesota into a tricameral system and yeah it it yeah. And, and but that I, would require a constitutional change oh of course so you, you, yeah you you're beyond the bounds of the constitution well and there are so many <laughs> questions do they come at their own expense or does the government reimburse them for travel expenses and you know if it's a, an overnight trip you know, et cetera, et cetera. Do they get a per diem the way jurors do? Um, there are all these questions. And the one question that he seemed to be a little fuzzy on was whether or not the legislature would allocate funding and or permission to bring people into the state <laughs> capitol to do their jobs. Yeah, and, and there you go. Or, 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 or you assemble 500 people. <laughs> and remember, you're taking power away from the people. The people decide. Uh, the the uh, 9 million um, people that are called Michiganders, they decide what the protocol is going to be, what the legal requirements are for a person to sit in the legislature and to do their job because they, rep they report only back to the people. And uh, when you put someone else in there to uh, take power away from the people, I think you're undermining the process. You're, you're totally correct, Henry. I mean, what, what, you're, what you're all, what we're talking about here is basically reinstituting in the, Roman, the, the Roman Republic, the censor. That's right. Um, that you know, that, that sat there, and that is not a representative Republican government. Uh, that's why the legislators are there. They're there to do that. They're not supposed to be, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to solve a problem because, oh, well, there's corruption or there's, there's uh, you know, too much bipartisanship or whatever in, in a particular uh, body, governing body, but that's that is not going to be fixed by having 500 people that probably don't know anything about it. Well, uh, exactly. Or, or a little less to say, well, that's a good idea or a bad idea, and that they could overrun it. Yeah, I see a lot of problems yeah. with I mean, it. But it I, a question. I, I don't want to automatically dismiss the idea. I just talk about how, or I just wanted to mention how different the idea is. It's kind of a different sort of direct democracy of a sort. It, I mean, it is. It's, it's clumsy <coughs> in many ways. And so I encourage people to, um, as I say, it'll be in the archive later today, and yeah. I encourage people to um, 
to give this a listen and and think about it a little bit maybe research it a little more it it like I say, the way it was described to me, I see lots of problems with it. I raised some of those problems. You can make up your own mind as to whether or not he was up to answering. But um, but I but I think these things, when people come up with these ideas, they're worthy of a listen. Yes. And and you know yeah. maybe maybe yeah. it inspires something else that actually is workable. But I've always that's the, that's the real value of third parties. Is third parties can raise ideas that may not get passed right away, but may get picked up or modified in some way by the major parties, and they, they've been very valuable and historically for many issues over the years. This uh, third party piece here that's <clears throat> that's proposed by the candidate for governor in Minnesota, that's already accomplished. We have that through the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court looks back at the legislature and says, hey, is that Constitution or not? Uh, so we have a system that, if we can believe in the system and support the system and uh, allow it to function, we have all of the components we need. So, here's, uh, here's something that that goes back to what we were talking about toward the end of the of of part one and uh and when we came back from the break at the top of the hour for part two um this is sort of a companion to the to the one about the candidates for governor this one is michigan representative uh, cynthia johnson a democrat from detroit has been disqualified from the august primary election for not submitting all required campaign finance paperwork. A letter from Wayne County Clerk Kathy Garrett to Johnson dated Friday, May 20th, stated that after a bureau review, Johnson had not submitted the filings and fees required under the Michigan Campaign Finance Act. Now, in all fairness to Cynthia Johnson, she has said that she was, um, she believed that she had complied with all the requirements but I just I, I can't help thinking we're seeing this more and more and my question is are candidates becoming incompetent at filling out forms and documentation <coughs> or is the paperwork for campaigns becoming too complicated I, I, I'm thinking the second one maybe the case I, I can recall cases here in Genesee County where candidates were disqualified because they failed to check a small little box, I believe, saying they were citizens. I mean, it was tucked away in you know line 27 somewhere, and as they filled out their forms, they failed to check that box, and uh, a couple of them were at least temporarily disqualified from running for office locally. And in some cases, uh, these were incumbents, Paul, and why would an incumbent yes. have, have any reason to believe there would be some question about their citizenship when they've already been serving in an elected <laughs> position and filed all true. the paperwork before. And, yeah. and, and I mentioned with, you know, in the case qualifying to run for governor, not only do you have to have a huge number, and that number is based on a percentage of the people who voted for governor in the last election or something, 
And then on top of that, yeah. you have to make sure that of all of the signatures you get, at least 100 came from each of the congressional districts around the state. Well, we all know there are candidates who play better in some parts of the state than others. You know, there are candidates who play well in the Upper Peninsula or the Northern Tier. There are candidates who play well in, in Southwest Michigan and Grand Rapids or, you know, certainly... We've had a lot of candidates that came out of the Detroit area. And sure. so now all of a sudden, I, I, and, and that just gets me back to this idea, are we, um, are we making the, uh, the documentation too complicated and or are our candidates becoming really bad at dealing with forms and documents? Well, candidates usually have... <clears throat> A second or third person, person that they authorize to do this stuff, you know, to run the campaign committee, to run the finance yeah, committee. What, what's a so, campaign manager for? Yeah. <laughs> True. They man, yeah. Although for this, for some local offices, the, the, the candidate themselves are their own manager, and that can be an issue. But, uh, and then, and then it just seems like we're having so, so many more of these kind of disqualifications in recent years. But it's incumbent upon that person running for office to make sure that all of this documentation is correct. She can't say, well, I was not sure. Yeah, I um, I agree, Henry. I think it does fall on the candidate. But are we we making it more difficult than it needs to be? And and they're they're in, I I have to fall on Paul's side on that one and and yours, Tom, in, in that... Yes, it is ultimately the candidate's responsibility, but regardless of the complexity of the paperwork, we're having a bureaucrat now decide that, oh, well, you didn't dot the right I's and cross the right T's, so you can't run anymore? I mean, why can't they just say, look, you made a mistake here, 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 and here. Fix that, or right. or you're going to be disqualified. Yeah, and that makes you know, sense. Does bureaucracy, uh, bureaucracy decide you can run or you can't? Yeah. yeah that doesn't sound like democracy either. Or I agree with you. And so, government. You know, and whoever said uh, that, for example, uh, you filled out this paperwork numerous times before, you declared yourself a citizen born in Michigan, Oakdale or wherever, <laughs> and everybody has your record. Even the FBI and everybody has your record. So, and you get this for marking the wrong box there, that is over the top. Yeah, there's some frivolous stuff that's over the top. But that's not complicated. That's just uh, an oversight or whatever. And we all make them, including those in bureaucracies. And and Cynthia Johnson is an incumbent. This isn't yeah, this isn't a newbie who something, just something doesn't sound right there. It sounds like some bureaucratic revenge. That's, well, I mean, that's that's what I'm. An that's another issue that I'm concerned about, and I'm glad I'm glad you raised it, Bill. Um, you know what what does it mean? And and we've seen cases where um, <laughs> remember the one with the congressman down. I I want to say it was down in the Detroit area, and his uh, campaign staff. Um, scrambled around at the last minute and photographed a bunch of uh, uh, the uh, photocopied a bunch of uh, petitions from a previous campaign yes. 
and, and put the stuff together. And and here was yes. an incumbent who'd been serving for like 14, 15 years in Congress who couldn't run because his staff just flat out cheated. Right. I recall that. And, and you want to talk about being embarrassed. I mean, this poor guy, I, I can't even remember who he is. He hasn't shown his face anywhere since. Anyway, we <laughs> we got to take a short break. We'll come back and talk about some of the things that are going on in Washington, if you think it's fun here in Michigan. Um, we're going to let our broadcast partner squeeze in a few words, and we'll be right Hello, back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hornets. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. 
And if you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we continue this uh, edition of uh, the Tom Sumner Program featuring Armchair Politics with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by author Bill Weiscarver. And uh, welcome back, everybody. Um, Baby formula arriving Sunday on a U.S. military aircraft from Germany will be distributed to areas around the country where there is the most acute need, a Biden administration official told CNN. The official, who is on site in Indianapolis awaiting the arrival of the military aircraft, said the product contained in the first shipment uh, will be distributed to hospitals, doctors, home health care facilities and pharmacies in regions where the needs are most acute. National Economic Council Director Brian Deese told CNN's Dana Bash on State of the Union on Sunday that as part of the airlift operation, more flights with baby formula will be coming in early this week. Pressed by Bash on how the U.S. ended up in a position which baby formula has to be airlifted into the country, Deese in part blamed market consolidation. It it goes back to this question of how we can bring more competition in our economy, have more providers have this formula so that no individual company has this much control over supply chain, he said. How does this baby formula shortage compare to the bread lines we saw in Russia and Eastern Europe in the decades following World War II? Hmm. You know, all of a sudden, I just had this this picture of, you know, moms with kids standing, you know, standing in line to get baby formula. I don't ever remember anything like that a decade ago. No. And and you you use use the example of World War II. The whole World War II, II, the European continent was completely devastated with with a war that killed approximately 60 million people and every country was bankrupt um what you see here with baby food is another is a perfect example of what has happened the chickens are coming home to roost economically how is it what i think more more important to ask the question how is it that the political infrastructure has allowed the the most productive diverse at the scientifically, technologically advanced civilization in the world, this country, actually be able to have a baby food shortage. And that is an economic issue. And, and that such a thing can happen shows, shows that, that 
as I said, the chickens are coming home to roost. And and um, yet, when I talk to economists on this show, Bill, I ask them about the state of the economy. In fact, next Wednesday, I'll be taking a break from interviewing uh, Michigan gubernatorial candidates because it's the first Wednesday of the month, and I'll have my economic uh, catch-up with uh, Chris Douglas from University of Michigan. And, you know, when I talk to him or when I talk to other economists, they say the economy's doing fine. And I always whisper sort of, you know, well, not in my neighborhood. But the question is, if our economy is doing so well, how are their babies going hungry? And and I'm not talking about at-risk children in, you know, historically poor neighborhoods. I'm, t- I'm talking about soccer moms. You know, As what you... amazes me about this is, is how shutting down one, fa- the one factory in Michigan got shut down because of some problems they had there. How does shutting down one factory cause this nationwide baby shoot? Exactly. I mean, how many factories are there? I mean, it's, it's a large nation. There's only one factory in Michigan that got shut down because of some problems, and I guess they're restarting in a couple of weeks or a month. But uh, that's what that was what mystified me. Well, as, uh, as you gentlemen know, I, I worked for I worked for Senator Dole for a long time, and Senator Dole always had a very good. Uh, he had a real real good saying about economists. He said, well, if economists are so smart, uh, how come they're not rich? Uh, so, <laughs> so you I have like economists, a lot, of, a lot of economists, they don't, they, they don't want to talk about the truth and exactly what, what Paul just said. How is it that we only have one plant? How is it, how is it that we're, we've only got one meatpacking plant in this country? How is it how is it that that you know? And I'm I'm I know the audience I'm talking to, but you know it, the truth of it is: how is it that the state Michigan that helped build this country just lost a seat because people are leaving? You know, you can talk to me about you can look at the stock market, but the, the stock market, but it's not just well right and it's not just the one seat, Bill. We've lost a seat every ten years for thirty years. Yeah. And, and yeah. this is this is what yeah. this is what I'm talking about is that that the chickens are coming home to roost. We've been selling our technology, or, or we haven't. We, the American people, haven't. But our leadership and our the economic the the economic leadership of this country has been selling has been selling our our infrastructure, our jobs, our technology overseas to make a quick profit for this quarter without any and and. You, you're, we've got people out of work now that can no longer. Uh, that means the, the health and the social security system doesn't have people paying in. So now we have social security going down. We're, you know, the, these issues, these issues are not something that is just baby food manufacturing. You're seeing this in the technology. It took it took approximately 50 years for us to lose our industrial jobs. Uh, to overseas, it took less than a decade for the technology production jobs to be lost overseas. And so these these issues, these issues, you know, the economy, well, it's doing real well. And, you know, if you want to talk in sound bites, and, and you can, but the fact of the matter is, when you have 0.5% of the people with 99.5% of the wealth, this is not about socialism. This is not about capitalism. This is about 
It is about an unsustainable economic issue. And if you will not look at that, and from that, from an economical issue, uh, then, then you don't understand that what happened in France in 1785 or in, in Tsarist Russia in 19, you know, 1905, you, you look at, you look at uh, pretty much straight across the board, I'm not saying we need to take the wealth from people. That's ridiculous. The, but the fact of the matter is, is we've set up a, an economic system that is unsustainable, and we need to evolve that system. And, and the economists who get paid by the rich uh, and, and by these people to, to say, oh, yeah, everything's doing fine. Well, it's exactly like what, what you're saying, Tom, is, well, not in my neighborhood. Guess what? That's what approximately 349.7 million uh, <laughs> Americans are saying the exact same mm-hmm. thing. We don't know what we're talking. They, you know, they go, I don't know where it's happening good here. You know, it's, it's but uh, everybody keeps telling me everything's that, fine. Well, is, no, that a con- is that a condemnation of uh, the free market system? No, not at all. We don't have a free market system anymore. That's, that's what I was issue. getting at. That's what I was that getting at. That is the though. issue. This is this is that's what I say when I. It's, <laughs> this isn't about capitalism or socialism. It isn't about a free market system. We no longer have. You know, you, you, the the economists look at the stock market and say, "Oh, look, it's it's doing well." You know, well, the stock market is run by the HFTs, the high frequency traders, that are basically. Buying and selling all day. They're computers that buy and sell all day. At the end of the day, they own nothing. And micro ab, uh, arbitrage of of hundreds of millions of shares per day that are sucking the real economy, uh, the real wealth produced by the people in the factories in in Michigan, the people that are the farmers, the you know you name it, the, the doctors and nurses that are healing the sick and the and the the miners that are pulling it up. They're sucking all that money in, and they're putting it in overseas accounts. This, this is an unsustainable system. It's not about, and this is what I, I, I stress in all my books and all my, my work, this isn't about, well, we need to have a communist or a socialist system, or, or you know, we need to go back to you know, fascist and tyranny and dictatorships, uh, the fascist like you know, uh, Mussolini's idea that we have corporate corporate government, you know, that doesn't work. Um, And we can fix these problems because this is the beauty of it. This country is, is, we have everything we need in this country to fix every single issue that we have right now. I've heard you say that before, Bill, and and I agree with you. Well, what is the problem, Bill? Just a thumbnail sketch. What should we do? Is it, is it more of a monopoly economy? Is, is that what we're talking about? The, the, the monopolies where a couple of major industries in every area dominate the market, and there, there's, there isn't really much competition. And, and, and totally. Um, and and what, what could we do? Well, I'll give you an example. 1950, in 1950, when the North Koreans invaded South Korea, President Truman didn't even didn't even have to go to the Congress, didn't have a fight about it. He immediately raised corporate tax over, I believe it was 
five million, which of course in 1950 was a lot of money. Um, uh, 91%. 91%, just right off the top. And, you know, American corporations did fairly well for the next 10 years until they took that down. Um, we talk about the tax issue in this country like, oh, well, I've cut the taxes. Well, you look at, you know, Donald Trump comes in, the first thing he does is he, he gives a, a tax cut. Well, that tax cut is not going to help the small, small person, and we need liquidity in the economy. And that is, he added $5 trillion to the debt by doing that. Mm -hmm. And what did we get for it? Nothing. The, the, the issue is, the issue is that, that what we, we need to do, if, if somebody has, uh, you know, a hundred billion dollars, right? And he is taxed 20 billion of that. And he only has 80 billion. Is that going to affect his life in the slightest? <laughs> we have not, we don't understand these things anymore. We don't have, there is no incentive to invest in a new baby manufacturing plant. There's no, in, there's no incentive to raise more cattle and have meat packing plants because, because it's churning in, in this, in this uh, uh, cyberspace of the, of the global economic system, which basically caused the collapse in 2008. Has now become has now become a way of life. It's not the real economy. The real economy in 1965 was approximately 85 percent, 15 percent being stocks, equity, the financial networks, the the government debt, whatever you want to call it. It was about 85 percent. Well, right now, the real economy, the people that are out there in the the workers out there in on the street, the 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 radio, the radio and uh, producers like yourself, Tom, you're producing real wealth. You're producing, you know, you are actually producing. There's no incentive for anyone to invest in, in the real world anymore because they can make all this money without having to, you know, do what a banker is supposed to be doing, looking at ma measuring the risk, managing the company, helping them grow and produce things. That, so... So I need a different bank run. then, Bill. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, no, exactly. Exactly. You know, they're, the banks are making 16% on your money, and they're giving you the interest of 0 .003, three points, three one-hundredths of a percent of for, for your interest back, and they're making 16% on it. You know, mm -hmm. this is not... That 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 is that that is the issue. When I when I was in college getting my finance degree in this was seventy five seventy six, you know, banking was always considered banking in the supermarkets were pretty much that was the lowest ROI the return on investment uh, that were were out there now. Those are one of the highest. Both super, supermarkets are making 32%. And then we wonder why avocados used to cost 20 cents a piece, and now they're $1.99. Um, these, these problems, you know, th these, are, these are the issues. And 
you know, I, I don't claim to be the smartest person in the world, but what you, you know, there's a lot of good ideas. There's a lot of people that could fix these problems. But first, before that happens, we, the American people, need to stand up and say, okay, we've had enough. We're producing, we're working harder than we ever have before. Um, you know, Paul made a, a comment earlier about, well, I don't remember these kind of, these things happening when I was growing up. And no, they weren't happening. And, and maybe it's... people took care of business. And, and, and maybe it's as simple a shift as saying, maybe we ought to make it easier for people who have good ideas to run for office. I that I I would totally agree with that. Anyway, um, Bill, you know, Bill, how does Milton Freeman um, I, uh, coincide with your argument here? What does he think uh, about he, that? He, he, he actually Freeman's Freeman's concept um, is is exactly in line with what I'm saying. the The problem with Milton I Freeman's so. idea, just like classic. Keynesian economic system is that we no longer live in that world. We we live in a world now where where anywhere from two to three trillion dollars of electronic debt is literally circling the globe twenty four hours a day at the speed of light. And as long as long as you have as long as you have that system sucking from the real economy, then that is where that's that's where you have to um, that's where you're going to have to change it. Um, Friedman, Friedman, I I, I uh, a firm believer in Friedman's economic theory, but there again, uh, Friedman's concept of economics was based on a free market system. We no longer have that. We only have one, and and you know it's it's a simplistic. But we only have one baby manufacturing uh, place in the entire country. What? what? How could that be? <laughs> in the old days, I mean, right? You know, in the in 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 the old days, and I call the old days, you know, for when we're talking about the the economy prior to 1999. We, you know, we well, people would say, well. Heck, I'm, you know, I mean, why aren't these banks investing in let's build baby manufacturing plants all over the place? Um, you know, there would be competition, but there is no competition. Why isn't there any competition? Mm -hmm. Because nobody can afford it anymore. And, you know, I, now I'm beginning to get what you're saying. It's a lack of competition. It's a big a, box a free market system. economy requires competition. Mm -hmm. If you've got a monopoly yeah. economy, you no longer have a free Absolutely. market. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, and, and it's exactly what, um, uh, oh, what's his name uh, from the National Economic Council, uh, Brian Deese, said uh, last Sunday on CNN. It goes back to this question of how we can bring more competition in our economy have more providers have this formula so that no individual company has this much control over supply chains. And see, exactly, he makes that statement, uh, yeah. and everybody agrees with it. He makes that statement, everybody agrees with it. The only issue is, is that, that uh, as an example, Biden administration sent over 
sent over to the uh, Congress a defense bill, and the, def- the Congress immediately added $18 billion to that. What, we need some more. We need more of that. And what it really comes down to, and, you know, what basically we've been talking about this whole show as far as politically, it's about leadership. It's about integrity yeah, to the leadership and the responsibility that you have. Hey, you know, you're, guess, out there, it, you're out there paying somebody 20 bucks for a, 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 a signature. Guess what? <laughs> I don't know if you want that person there. That's right. I don't know either. Well, I had a couple of. Uh, I got to pick up a copy of your book. Uh, that, that, this is really good stuff. I got to pick up a copy of your book. Yeah, yeah I got to pick up a copy. Send me one, and I'll send you a check. <laughs> Last it's all you can you can you can find it any place. Uh, uh, you can find it on Kobo. You can find it on Amazon. Okay. Uh, you can find uh, them all there. What's the name of the book again? Twilight well, of Empire. Oh, the Twilight. Latest, yeah. Twilight of Empire. If you go to my website, you know, it's the modern world. Everybody's got to have a website. Uh, it's uh, W.H. Weiscarver, and that's spelled exactly like it sounds. Uh, <laughs> yeah, www.whysecarver.com. And you can kind of see where I'm coming from with it. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy you. this. Hey, I want to I want to squeeze in uh, one more thing. I had a couple of things about uh, about the the state uh, budget that I was going to squeeze in, and some polling uh, relative to midterms. But these conversations have been too good to to try and cut short. So I, I'm going to squeeze in this one last thing because it seems like Clarence Thomas has found his voice. Last week at a Dallas conference, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas took a surprising public jab at Chief Justice John Roberts. Thomas has long touted the good relations inside the court and avoided public criticism of his SCOTUS colleagues. He might not always have embraced his colleagues, but he avoided letting any enmity slip. Thomas's blunt remarks suggest new antagonism toward Roberts, and added to the uncertainty regarding the ultimate ruling in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization expected by the end of June. Roberts, with his institutionalist approach, is positioned as the one justice who might generate a compromise opinion that stops short of completely overturning Roe v. Wade at least this year. That would thwart an outcome that Thomas has worked toward for decades. Is this a reminder that the Roberts Court isn't really the Roberts Court? Hmm. Well, the Chief Justice is only the for the first the first among equals. So it's, it's for any courts, Chief Justice has has got a lot of power, but very often not not all the power. Yeah. That may be the case here. Yes. Yeah, Thomas has been busy this week. Um, he um, he has. He has his wife. <laughs> there's a yeah, there's he, a threat. <laughs> there's a there's a threat against him. There is, and I was going to try and get to that too, and maybe we will. Um, the Department of Homeland Security is warning law enforcement partners that there are potential threats to the public and and uh, members of the Supreme Court in response to the national abortion debate, as you might imagine. 
Um, but I, we're, we're just about out of time in this segment, and then we're going to be go, moving on to the, uh, the X-Files. But if we have a little time at the end, we'll talk about that, because I, I wonder, has the Supreme Court ever, ever faced threats of violence with all of the controversy that that group has stirred up in its uh, history? Um, but as I mentioned, we have to take a short break. If you're listening to us on WFOVLP 92.1 FM Flint, um, our Voices Radio is a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, so don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse, we'll be right back. Hey! <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now! And now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell, East Village Magazine, Flint Institute of Music, Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg, Flint Community School, MTA Flint, Flint Comics and Entertainment, Hamity Complete Food Center, The Flint River Watershed Coalition, WH Wisecarver, The Genesee County Road Commission, Long Museum Auto Fair, Thomas Appliance, The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Oh, 
<laughs> Yellow? Honey, it's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company, and then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov ag for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone. I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back to the final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. That segment where we look at the, all the weird and wacky news, uh, although it's hard to tell which is which sometimes, that we call the X-Files. And we start out with uh, a story. Um, a Florida judge... <laughs> Has, I, I wonder if that's any different than a Florida man. Um, has reluctantly <laughs> delayed the trial of a woman accused of dressing like a clown and fatally shooting her lover's wife more than 30 years ago after defense attorneys said they're having a hard time contacting witnesses. The trial for Sheila Keen Warren was supposed to begin June 3rd, but on Tuesday... Uh, Palm Beach County Circuit Judge Scott Suskauer agreed to what could be a four-month delay, according to the Palm Beach Post. Suskauer said he had already cleared his schedule delaying other trials and hearings to be able to preside over a three-week trial. Think about the impact it has on me. I have a duty to the public, Suskauer told the lawyers. You also have a victim's family that has waited a long time for justice. It was May 1990 when Marlene Warren opened her door and was shot in the face by a clown delivering carnations and balloons to her home in Wellington, a suburb of West Palm Beach, according to court records. The former Sheila Keene, rumored to be having an affair with Marlene Warren's husband, Michael Warren, was considered a suspect, but the case against her seemed thin. Two nights before the killing, a woman showed up at a costume store telling clerks she urgently needed a clown suit, an orange wig, white gloves, a red nose, and enough 
white makeup to cover her face completely. One of the clerks identified her in a photo lineup, but the other clerk wasn't sure. She later married Michael Warren, and they were living in Virginia when investigators said DNA provided the evidence they needed to arrest her in 2017. This is the sixth time the trial has been delayed. And I guess there are really two questions here. One is, shouldn't there be a waiting period for buying a clown suit? Um, <laughs> oh, that's an appropriate question. <laughs> well, I, I was, I, I guess I was a little surprised by the comment that the, the clerks said she came in and said she urgently needed a clown yeah. suit. Um, and, and the other is, do you think the defense team will ride to, to court together in a little tiny car? It's not like a plot for a great horror movie or a crime movie of some kind. <laughs> After 30 years, I would think the DNA would be enough. I mean, at yeah. least to have a fair adjudication of this thing. Yeah, just yeah, just a quit clowning around. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, the money was supposed to be COVID-19 assistance for low-income households in a small Japanese town, but it was mistakenly wired to a bank account of a resident who refused to return it and spent most of it on online gambling, police said. <laughs> Sho Taguchi, a 24-year-old jobless resident in the town of Abu in western Japan, was arrested Wednesday. Yamaguchi... Uh, prefectural police said. Police said Thursday he admitted to spending most of the 46.3 million yen or $360,000 of taxpayers money on gambling. According to Kyoto News Agency only uh, $530 is left in his bank account after he withdrew the money 34 times in just over 10 days after the town made the mistake. He's being held on suspicion of computer fraud. Taguchi had allegedly refused uh, the town request to return the money. The funds were COVID-19 subsidies that were deposited into his bank account in April. Each of the 463 low-income households in Abu, population 3372, was supposed to receive $780, but a town official mistakenly submitted to a financial institution a single transfer request of the total amount to Taguchi, whose name was the first on the list of recipients, according to Kyoto <laughs> Should COVID assistance be first come, first served? <laughs> Fairly in this case, yeah. <laughs> Uh, or the most needed, where the most needed, but for a good gamble, for a good gamble. Yeah. yeah. Now this this is a, a complicated issue. I don't know why the guy is not arrested. He should be arrested for taking money. Oh, he, yeah, money. he. I think he has been arrested. Yeah, he was arrested on Wednesday. I have to wonder. I have to wonder about the people that were waiting for that money. Uh, that that like okay, where's all that money gone? And everybody said, well, we don't know. I, 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 
Yeah, I think if I'd have been next on the list, I'd be running out to buy a clown suit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. An emergency clown suit. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be urgently buying a clown suit. Uh, Well, a small brewery in Finland has launched a NATO-themed beer to mark the Nordic country's bid to join the Western Military Alliance. Olaf Brewing's Otan Lager features a blue label with a cartoon version of a beer-drinking medieval knight in metal armor emblazoned with NATO's compass symbol. The beer's name is a play on the Finnish expression Otan Aluta, which means I'll have a beer, and the French abbreviation for NATO, which is Otan. The North Atlantic (coughs) Treaty Organization has two official languages, English and French. CEO uh, Pateri Vantinen um, told the Associated Press on Thursday that the craft brewery's ad hoc decision last weekend to start producing the beer was motivated by worries over the war in Ukraine and its consequences for Finland. He described the new lager as having a taste of security with a hint of freedom. (laughs) Finland and Sweden on Wednesday submitted applications to join NATO at the Alliance's headquarters in Brussels. Is Finnish beer a good way to celebrate uh, new members to NATO? (laughs) Uh, Well, it it, it may may be more saleable than Russian vodka (laughs) these days. (laughs) Yeah, not the truth. I thought it was Sweden that was the country that, uh, uh, to which the story was pertaining. I think so. Huh? Yeah. That what? That it was Sweden instead of uh, Finland. Yes, it was. Was it? Apparently, apparently both countries are, um, have submitted applications to join. But Sweden is the, the, the more powerful. Well, I think Sweden is getting a little bigger headlines because for decades and decades, and, and really through, what, both world wars, has yeah. been completely neutral and never joined any of these, uh, uh, you know, uh, defense initiatives. That's why they're all still in, in tech. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Besides the fact that uh, they build good furniture and have really good yeah. meatballs. And they have right, the most right. uh, beautiful women in the world, they say. I, I, can, I can tell you one thing about Finland. I can tell you one thing about Finland. They're, you know, having, having traveled up and down that country on several occasions, there isn't much else to do other than drink beer. So these guys are probably <laughs> out of the ball curve on it. Well, it makes sense. Somebody says, hey, you know, we're going to join NATO, and, and somebody else says, well, let's have a beer. <laughs> well, nobody exactly. celebrates beer drinking uh, more um, than the Irish do. <laughs> right? Oh, I, I, yeah, I think it's such a normal part of their day. It, they yeah. don't even think of it as a celebration, Henry. <laughs> it's just what we do. Henry, uh, Henry Hatter, our uh, uh, longtime uh, Genesee County Republican and, and roundtable regular, it's always such a treat to have you part Thank of the you. show. Thank you. 
Thank and you. I, and I'm going to go out and buy this Twilight of Empire. And have a beer. Yeah, and have there a beer. There you go. A finished beer. I want to say a thanks to Bill Weiscarver and also to Paul. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks, Bill. Good night, everybody. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.